Hey friends, it's Andy. Welcome to our new show, Accelerate Expresso. Look, I mean, I know you're busy, and it's hard to keep up with all six of the great episodes we publish each week. So, with this show, Accelerate Expresso, we're going to deliver highlights from each episode from the previous week. And in the process, give you short, delicious shots of insight from a show you might have missed, and to help amp you up for the coming week. Now, before we jump into it, please remember to visit iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to subscribe to this podcast. And while you're there, leave a review, please, for Accelerate. We need your feedback to ensure that we keep delivering the high levels of value you expect. Okay, let's express it. Hi, this is Alec Paul, Andy's son, and I'm stepping in for him today because he's out sick. So let's begin. On Monday, in episode 452, Sally Doobie, West Coast General Manager of the Bridge Group, discusses misdirected and inaccurate email campaigns, along with how AI is developing in the sales space. Let's listen in. Yes, and I think that we're probably in agreement that they are some of the worst (laughs) prospecting emails. I've I've got many, many examples of those. I mean, I was just, so I was just, as we talked about, I was just at the Saster conference a couple weeks ago, and... There'll be several months by the time this this episode airs, but but yeah, I was going around from booth to booth and introducing myself as as a podcaster, and in some cases, you know, interested in talking to their CEO or whoever is there, see if they have an interesting story that might be worth having on the show. And so I was extremely clear when they when they scanned my badge. Can we scan your badge? Absolutely. But I just want to make sure you know. You know, don't. I'm not a prospect. Right. <laughs> I'm right. here to talk to your CEO. Don't send me an email. Don't follow up. They all have. Yes. You know, yes. The, yes. You came by. I remember talking to you at the booth. Well, actually, no, you didn't. <laughs> right. And so you instantly lose credibility when you do things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, I, I get these emails, you know, hey, Sally, I want to talk to you about our great list that we have. You know, so when can you schedule a few minutes so I can tell you about our great list? Well, I don't care about your great list. I'm sorry. That's not my need, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, and so I just keep hitting delete, delete. And then the next one is, hey, you haven't responded to my, you know, my previous email. So I wanted to raise this to the top of your email. I still want to tell you about how great we are. Yeah. Well, or how that- cool, right? And again, it's, it's like, sorry, that's not of interest to me. Um, you know, or we get the ones just like you said, Hey, Sally, we want to talk to you about your security and what are you doing to, you know, prevent DDoS attacks? And it's like, Oh my God, we're a small boutique consulting company. Seriously. (laughs) You know, I'm not your buyer. Why are you wasting your time on me? And that's because the people don't understand who their target market is and who the right buyers are and what the messaging is, who they should be going after. Yeah, and, and then, so they're not being successful, right? Right, they're doing any research to it at all. Exactly, well, exactly, it, and they're not getting guidance from management, or I shouldn't, I would never have been on anybody's list. Right. Well, I saw an interesting post, a uh, Facebook post. Well, was it LinkedIn? Must have been LinkedIn over the weekend. Um, who is it from? Uh, friend Chad Burmeister. I don't know if you know who Chad is. I you know, know Chad. Chad. You know Love Chad. Chad. Yeah. So everybody knows Chad. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> So Chad's post was basically, hey, you know, here's an application or a company working on an application that basically can do, I think he used a range, like 75 to 90%, this AI-based app, 75 to 90% of what an SDR could do with greater consistency 
you know, basically game over. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What's your thought about that? You know, I, I think that maybe there is a place for some of that technology to automate some routine tasks. Um, I don't know that it can replace an SDR. I mean, at the end of the day, where SDRs are successful is when they actually engage. And to me, engagement is having a conversation that is relevant to that buyer and can ask those intelligent questions read, you know, get back information and, and keep the conversation going and show that, you know, there is a reason why they should want to engage further and talk to us because we can help them at some point. I'm not sure that AI is there yet. Um, I remember AI from the 90s. <laughs> um, and it's still, you know, it's getting much better, yeah. but I don't think it's there yet um, to be able to replace having those personal conversations um, that will get people to say, yes, I'm willing to have an hour conversation with your sales team, um, your solutions expert, whatever you want to call them and label them to find out more. Mm-hmm. Um there's very few that can do it by email only. Again, you've got to have that one-on-one conversation to be able to express and understand what's going on in that person's world and how you can help them. On Tuesday in episode 453, Josie Ann Fagan, sales futurist and founder of Telesmart Communications, discusses with Andy how SDR managers are trying to gamify the job and how sales orgs are creating new positions to allow advancement in the SDR area. I, I know that that's changing. I mean, you know, the SDR world, managers are trying really hard to make it fun to do gamut, you know, to, to really some to gamify it, to do more competition, to give more prizes, to give bonuses, to include them more, because they really are still the first level of contact. And, um, you know, some of them are getting paid really well at the SDR level. So they're trying to keep them any way they can. But you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of a ruthless job. No one's answering the phone. If they do, you barely get a second to talk to them, maybe 19 at the most seconds. You're constantly, you know, dealing with rejection um, and then they disappear and vanish. So it's not an easy position to have. Uh, But, you know, the quantity of calls that they're still making still demonstrates that it's still a really viable position that's making inroads in the sales pipeline. So it's part of the answer there, though, to, again, more along the lines of the the career paths, because, you know, if you look at um, another job type that, you know, changes fairly frequently is engineers, right? They're fairly fungible skill set. And... But engineering talent tends to go where there's interesting work to be done. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's a challenge for us with SDRs is, and people coming in these entry-level roles is we want to keep them, much like yeah. you're trying to retain your engineers, we've got to give them something interesting to do. I mean, it just yeah. can't, uh, it's hard to imagine that it's, you know, be the same old thing for five years. That I think, <laughs> I'm sure, I know there are individuals out there that have done SDR roles for much longer, but it's, they can't all be structured like, you know, the high intensity, you know, high volume of contacts and so on. There has to be something that, that gives a level of interest to it. 
I agree. And and really the the lifespan of an SDR is really no more than 18 months, if not a whole lot less these days. So, you know, they're really coming in as just a big career path and moving even to a team lead or anything that moves them out of it after a short period of time. So they're kind of hanging in there and then they're moving on fairly quickly. Yeah. But I mean, when you look at the numbers, right, within an organization, you know, the, the opportunities scale, right? I mean, there's at the next level up there aren't as many. So that means if these people are leaving, you know, they're going, you're losing that, that expertise and that knowledge as a company is, I think the challenge and a, a trend I'd like to see is that if we as an industry do a better job of saying, yeah, how do we define this role in such a way that we encourage the development of new skills? And I said, really keep it of interest so that people feel like they're moving, even if they're not necessarily changing job, they're still feel like they're progressing in their career. Yeah, and and I think that that's why a lot of sales organizations are opening up a lot more positions um, to show that there is some advancement. Because in the old days, you know, it was just like maybe inside sales and then field sales. And now there's so much more in the progression. And also SDRs, some report into marketing. Uh, They don't report into sales. So there's a lot of places you can move into and progress within a marketing organization or a sales organization. Wednesday, in episode 454, Lincoln Murphy, customer success architect and mentor at Storm Venture, explores how we got to the point where customer success is a new operating philosophy, not just for SaaS, but for all businesses. He also compares reducing churn with real revenue growth. Let's hear what he has to say. What I'd like, I mean, what I, because I know where our, our time is limited, and, and of course that's in the book, um, and it's actually, it's a story that's pretty well known, but what I want to really, what, what I want to, I think would be interesting is sort of, it's a takeoff of that. And, and it kind of goes, it goes into some stuff that's not in the book. Mm-hmm. And that is how did we get to this point where customer success is this, this sort of um, this new operating model for not just SaaS businesses, but, but really any kind of business. And it goes back to actually that Genesis at Salesforce when, when customer success was, uh, coined not just as a term but really as as a as an operating philosophy for the company and said look you know we we have to make sure that our customers are getting value from us what happened was you know obviously salesforce did the most successful saas company um ever and and obviously has a lot of people working there well what happened is you you had as you do in in companies you have people leaving and those people that were early at Salesforce left to become investors themselves. They left to uh, start companies. And, and then other people uh, that came on a little bit later, they, they left to maybe start companies or, or, or go work at other companies. And what you had was this, this cross-pollination of, of these ideas around this concept of customer success. And really where it started to take, take hold was in, with the, the investors we're really starting to get more mature in the way they looked at subscription businesses and being able to say, you know, Hey, um, you look like you're losing a lot of customers this month, um, in, or, or over the last quarter, you know, what can we do about that? And, and you had people that had exposure to what Salesforce was doing saying, well, you know, we used to do this or we, you know, we kind of looked at it this way. And so that cross pollination really started to, to take hold. And so it was, it was, it's interesting, you know, that you, you sort of start with that, that story about what happened to Salesforce, because that wasn't, it wasn't just where customer success started. It's because that's where it started. And because 
kind of those, those people went on to other places that, that we got, you know, this, this understanding of this, this new kind of way of thinking, but also in SaaS primarily. So not just Salesforce, but as we move kind of out in concentric circles out from the the Salesforce ecosystem, you get to this point where you have a lot of subscription revenue, right? Tied up in the, in the SaaS businesses. And you had a maturing of that, of the people that were coming into those, those businesses from a customer success perspective. And you had investors who either had that exposure to, to Salesforce directly, or obviously saw what was going on there. And it just kind of all boiled over and said, you know, I think it's, it's time to start looking at this whole thing is not just about customer acquisition. It's about acquiring customers that are going to be here for the long haul and growing our relationship with them over right. time. And so real quick, one of the ways, and this isn't in the book because the book is, is, you know, it, it was very specific. We worked with Wiley and I can go, we could spend hours talking about the whole book writing <laughs> experience, but there's, there's a lot of things that either aren't in the book because, um, of, of their amazing editors, um, or just because there are things that have come up since then. I mean, the book was published in, in early 2016, but even in that, just in the last year, I think we're going on just about a year since the book has been out. Um, things have evolved. And, and one of the things that I, I talk about a lot is customer success driven growth. So I've even tried to reposition customer success as, as that growth driver, just to kind of differentiate it from what other, what some people might think of customer success as simply a way to, well, unfortunately, as the title of the book says, you know, a way to reduce churn. Um, I look at it as, you know, once you once you get churn out of the way, now it's a growth driver. Right now we can get our customers to stay longer. That's the reducing churn part. But now we can get them to buy more and we can get them to invite us into other parts of their business and we can get them to advocate for us externally. Right. Tell tell their friends and peers about us. If we can do all of those things, that is a significant growth driver. Right. The problem is those four things that we all say we want (laughs) um, aren't necessarily things that, that most companies operationalize around. Right. They kind of still leave it up to chance. And, and I think if you look at customer success driven growth as that growth engine that you can apply to your business, you can get all four of those things. But it absolutely starts and kind of what you, what you were saying very early on here. It absolutely starts with making sure that we we don't just grow at all costs. We don't just go out and try to acquire as many customers as we can. We acquire customers that have success potential right. in the first place. So, so uh, yeah. So I I do want just so I don't leave people hanging. Is you know the the basic story <laughs> of, the, of the Salesforce was mm-hmm. that. You know, Dave Dems, a senior executive, says, "Look, you know, we're we're churning at eight percent per month, which is virtually one hundred percent turnover per year, and you know, we can't pour enough new business into the top of the funnel to sustain real growth at that rate. Right. So we've got a problem. So I mean, here was an existential threat, like I said, to this company that's that you know we all know and and like and look up to. It's like, well, really, it wasn't that long ago that they really had to come to face with come to grips with the fact that." You know, they were sort of like, uh, you know, HBO back in the 80s and 90s that had similar churn rates on their pay subscription services and were also faced a real existential threat. I mean, basically 100% turnover in customers every year. Well, and that's, yeah, I, I, sorry, I meant to go back and sort of close that loop. Um, but you're right. Well, that's and, why and I'm that's here. The thing. Yeah, I <laughs> appreciate that. Um, but like you said, I mean, it, it may not seem like a, a very big churn rate. But the reality is it adds up. Oh, right? yeah. So you look, oh, so it's, it's, it's single digits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eight times 12 it, is 96. It starts <laughs> to become a major problem. But you know what I, what I always like to remind people is it's not here's, – here's the thing about churn. Customers churn for one of two reasons, and these are, these are the only reasons. One, they 
something happens to them. They go away. They go out of business. Um, maybe they get acquired, though. Mm-hmm. I say if they get acquired, that maybe should be an opportunity. But we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and figure that in here. So they either go away, you know, they go out of business or they get acquired. The other reason they don't, they don't stay with us, the reason that they churn, is because they didn't achieve their desired outcome through their interactions with us. And my definition of customer success is when your customers achieve their desired outcome through their interactions with your company. That's the, that's, that's it. Now, why they don't achieve their desired outcome is, you know, there's, there's several reasons. One could be that you acquired a customer that never had success potential in the first place, right? So this is the growing at all costs. We'll sign any customer that will, that will sign. We'll do, you know, we'll do whatever we can to acquire as many customers as possible, even if they don't have success potential. And that's a problem. Um, the other reason is, we acquire customers with success potential, but we don't do the things necessary to make them successful. And, and, you know, so when you have a high churn rate, it's not necessarily because they're all bad fit customers. It could very well be that you are just simply not doing the things through all of your interactions with them to ensure that they achieve that desired outcome. So, I mean, I think that's, that's something that's really important to, to keep in mind. Um, and, and once we start to understand that, we understand that churn really is just a symptom. On Thursday, episode 455, Philip Schweitzer, CEO of SalesWings, discusses the role of AI in sales. It's, it's, it's good you mentioned that because I think it's worth talking about um, um, the, the, the role or importance uh, AI and technology should take in our, in our daily sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about data that you're putting into your algorithm. Right. Um, I read an article about uh, a data scientist. I can't remember which company he's working for, but one of the one of the, the marketing analytics companies. Okay. And and he's he he called the most difficult task, uh, what he called the last mile, yes. is to translate data into actionable, meaningful data for company. So you know, let me let me let me make an example. You don't need AI to tell a sales guy that the CEO is a better lead than an intern. But you can come up with a very complicated algorithm which will actually tell you, hey, by the way, <laughs> this is a CEO with 95% accuracy. He's a better lead than the intern. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> yes. so don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, SalesWings has a very strong technology uh, in, in its back end. Sure. Uh, but, but what we're coming up with is not, uh, it, 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 is, is, it is what it is. It's pointless sales guy to the best leads, right? Uh, and it helps them taking that next decision. But we're not telling the sales guy, you need to call now this lead. We're going to tell him, out of these 100, look at these five, maybe these 10, and then you decide who you should be calling back. On Friday, in episode 456, Andy's regular partner on Frontline Fridays, Bridget Gleason, and he chat about selling past the initial buying decision. Here they are. Yeah, you know... Uh... I had a conversation today with a a candidate we're talking to about for a VP of customer success role. Mm. And he asked what were the, after, after they become a customer, what were their expectations? What are their expe- expectations of what LogSide was going to provide? And we had a really good discussion about that. And I said, you know, I think, our problem right now is we haven't done a good job as a salespeople setting up what those expectations should be, understanding what the customer's expectations are, mm-hmm. and then helping also to define them. 
that all starts at the beginning. And, and even in terms of like what you're talking about, the once they've made a decision to, yes, I want to buy something. And even if let's say they end up buying it, were you the one that helped set the expectation for, are they going to be happy with it after they bought it? The selling doesn't stop after you've closed the deal, especially in a SaaS company. Well, no, not at all. And so you've got it. You, the selling needs to keep to continue. And again, if you haven't, if you've sold past that initial sort of what is the pain and what's the solution uh, for that, if you've just sold past that too quickly and it's sort of a muddy value proposition that they don't even know exactly what it is that they should expect, you can have a really difficult time when it comes to, let's say, you get the deal What time when it comes to renewal, when it comes to keeping them as happy customers, it's going to be more challenging. On Saturday, episode 457, Alex Berman, co-founder of Experiment 27, a company that provides lead generation services for digital agencies, shares with us his hard-earned interview techniques. So I, I, I do two parts uh, of any interview. So the first one is I'm just on a quick call. I uh, just try to get culture fit. So I try to see if they're cool or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll ask them questions about their background. Like basically we'll just conversate like, like me and you are having a conversation right now. So um, definition of cool? Cool. Just like, you know, can we get along? Do we have rapport? Okay. All right. Like, are we, uh, am I, I impressed I, with It's a technical term. I know. I just wanted to. Yeah. No, <laughs> I know. I'm not a big fan of the, uh, of those in depth, in, in depth, like corporate interview questions. Um, I read an article a while ago that I can't remember where I read it. But it said that the entire like uh, vocal like interview process going back and forth is actually not predictive at all of the actual job success. So I try to not put too much uh, emphasis on that. Um, the next part of the trial, I do actually put emphasis. So if they are cool mm-hmm. or if they, they are a good culture fit, then I'll give them an hour or two of work uh, for them to do. So for sales, uh, it's almost always write a cold email campaign for X27 right. um, and come up with 20 people that you could send it to. And then let me know how it goes. And they don't usually have to send the emails. I just want to see uh, what the lead quality is, and I want to see what the type of email they write is. So that's it, friends. Another excellent week of Accelerate, the world's best sales podcast. Please take 30 seconds right now. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. I personally want to know what I can do to make this an even more valuable resource for you. For our regular listeners, I'll see you bright and early Monday morning. For everyone else, we'll see you again back here next week. Until then, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.